0: Hey, everybody, before we get into episode five of Katie's Corner, I almost called my other name, my podcast, the name of my other podcast. Holy cow, it must be a late Wednesday night. Anyways, uh, before we get into episode five of Katie's Corner, hey, just want to remind you, Mohawk Honda, they are amazing partners with us here at Godzilla Media and amazing partners with drivers across the Capital region and beyond here in upstate New York. And this spring is the perfect time to get top dollar for your trade-in with the Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Whether you're looking to do a swap out for a new or certified pre-owned used vehicle there on the Mohawk Honda lot, or you just want straight cash, homie, just like Randy Moss, don't worry. They'll take care of you because if you want straight cash right in your hand, they'll give you a check same day you bring in your vehicle. No. Uh, not going to wait three to five business days, no one to three weeks. Screw that stuff. You're going to get that check in hand same day you bring that vehicle on the lot. And like I mentioned, you can always just swap it out at a fair price towards a new vehicle or a certified pre-owned used vehicle on the lot there in Scotia Glenville. And the inventory just continues to roll in day after day at Mohawk Conda. So go and check it out. It's available at mohawkcondo.com or check out all other social media platforms including Facebook and Twitter. As all of their sales and leasing consultants are ready to work with you to find the best vehicle for your budget and lifestyle, single, newly engaged, building a family, whatever it may be, Mohawk Honda is ready to take care of you over in Scotia Glenville this spring, where they always go out of their way to please you. Yes, episode five, ready and running. And yes, I have the correct number of the episode for this week. I'm Brian Cady. Hang with you. We're presented by Godzilla Media, sponsored by Mohawk Honda. If you want to check out my Twitter and you're listening to the audio-only version of this show, it's at Brian Cady, B-R-I-A-N-C-A-D-Y. If you have any questions, comments, concerns about Yankees, Mets, Red Sox, greater issues in baseball in general, brian.cady at GodzillaMedia.com. So let's just jump right into it with the Boston Red Sox. We're going to go from worst to best in this scenario. And uh, the only word I can think of is literally, yikes. Uh, they, they lose a heartbreaker in 10 innings, 10 to 5 to the Angels uh, last night. And they're just, oh, they are just a struggle fest right now. This is a team right now, 10 and 14, fourth in the division. Thank you, Baltimore Orioles. But, I mean, it's a mess. Excuse me, they're 10 and 15. So 10 and 15 on the year four, a fourth in the AL East only ahead of the Orioles they were lucky uh they lost two out of three in Baltimore over the weekend um they 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 split the first two against the Angels to start off the week here as Waka was able to help pitch a uh shutout against the Angels and then the Angels Win 10 to 5. As I'm recording this earlier tonight, I'm recording this Wednesday, May the May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Um, just a mess. Shohei pitches later today on May the 5th, Thursday, against the Red Sox. Then you got to host the White Sox for three, who are a team just at the precipice of wanting to break out. They see all the pisses, the, the the pieces to be fitting together properly and firing at all cylinders. And then you got to go and face the defending world series champion, Atlanta Braves for a quick two game series before visiting the Texas Rangers for three. The nice thing you, you're getting a lot of these off here. At least you had this past Monday off, you've got next Monday off and you have next Thursday off. So you got three off days within a week and a half. How the hell did that work out for you? I mean, uh, take advantage advantage of it while you can, but I mean, just look at the schedule so far. The, the Red Sox going back to their series at Tampa in late April. I mean, they they won the opener, then lost four in a row, and then they have they exchanged wins and losses in the first two, the last two in Toronto, the first two in Baltimore, then lost the rubber match this past Sunday in Baltimore, and now have split the first two against the Angels. This. The squad just, they, 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 they're just not clicking. Like They just can't get any, they can't string together a pair of wins together. Uh, any cl- any better than I've been able to string together consecutive months of upholding a diet over the years uh, until, you know, until recently. We're not going to get into that. But, I mean, just look at this lineup. Dahlbeck still banging a buck 47. Trevor Story's barely over 200. Still hasn't hit a homer this year. Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers, like the two, them and Janie Martinez are the three bright spots right now on this team. I mean, it's a mess. It's a freaking mess. I, uh, neither of your catchers can hit. Christian Arroyo can't hit. Uh, I mean, Jackie Bradley Jr., don't get me started. And Kike Hernandez isn't even above the Mendoza line right now. This squad is struggling. And it goes right down the line into some of the pitching as well. I mean, Nick Pavetta, where are you at? Rich Hill, you're showing your age, buddy. Now, Eovaldi, Waka, Hauk, they've held up their end of the bargain. Garrett Whitlock has been terrific so far out of that bullpen, even though he's only been able to save one game because the Red Sox aren't winning or putting them in winning positions or saleable positions. So it's like, man, this, like I should be pained by the Red Sox as a Yankees fan. But I mean, this squad is just a hot mess. You got Rich Hill facing Shohei Otani to close out the series at Fenway against the angels. Then you're going to be hosting Chicago for three Including a game where you gotta play at eleven thirty in the morning on Sunday because Major League Baseball thought that was a bright marketing idea to play early to play late Sunday morning games at one uh, on and off throughout the season. I mean, I I just I can't. This squad's a mess. This this is the easiest way for me to put it. Um, And it's only going to get worse because. The Yankees keep on winning, even though they just lost for the first time in twelve games earlier tonight in Toronto. Tampa, they somehow find a way to put it together every year. They, they and after uh, after their game today uh, tonight in Oakland, where they won three nothing, they're fifteen and ten. They're fifteen and ten. They're five games clear of Boston. A Tampa team that has no business being five games clear of Boston in the ALE standings. I mean, wow. In the meantime, speaking of that division, the ALEs, so the New York Yankees, like I mentioned, they, they lost for the first time. Again, just a reminder, I'm recording this on the late night, Wednesday, May 4th. So they lost earlier tonight in Toronto. 2-1. Uh, to one. Nestor Cortez was pitching nasty, but Kikuchi was just a little better. Only one giving up uh, by Kikuchi was the solo homer by Joey Gallo in the game that originally tied the game at one. Uh, Yankees, by the way, are off. They're the only one of the three regional teams that are off on Thursdays on Cinco de Mayo before hosting Texas over the weekend at Yankee Stadium. And then the Yankees will have, if you give me a moment to pull up their schedule, uh, the Yankees, after the Texas series, will have a series in which they will... Uh, host Toronto. They'll have, just like the Red Sox, they'll have Monday off, Monday the 9th, they'll host Toronto for a quick two-game series, and then turn around and host the White Sox for a four-game set the 12th through the 15th. Uh, excuse me, they'll visit Chicago. Uh, they'll be in Chicago, and that's going to kick off uh, an eight-game road trip where they play four at, at the White Sox and then four in Baltimore against the Orioles. And I mean... There's not a whole lot to say about the Yankees cuz they're just playing that great right now. They're playing that good. Yes. They're down to a two and a half game lead in the East over the Blue Jays, three over the Rays. But when you win 11 in a row and then lose one, there's not a whole lot to pick apart. I mean, if we're going to be nitpicky, uh, you know, Joey Gallo would be nice if you hit over a buck 80. That'd be nice. Um, I still stand by the, the statement that when you have two bad catchers, you have no catcher at all, essentially. I mean, Higashioka and Trevino, neither of them are batting higher than a buck sixty. I mean, Glaber Torres, it's nice like to see him turning it up. Josh Donaldson is kind of finding a groove, kind of, sort of. Hicks looks good coming back from the DL. And then you have Judge and Stanton and Rizzo doing what they're supposed to do. Kiner Falefa continues to impress. He's batting over three hundred. LeMahieu is Lemayhu. You know what to expect from him. Uh, in his limited appearances, Marwan Gonzalez has been uh, a pleasant surprise. Payone pitching a gem against Toronto uh, in the first game, in the, me, the second game of that series on Tuesday. Um, I mean, there's not much to say there. I mean, when when the two worst DRAs in your starting rotation are Garrett Cole, and Luis Severino, you know this team is doing something right pitching. Aroldis Chapman still hasn't given up a run all year, has six saves. Clay Holmes is doing work. Miguel Castro is doing work out of the bullpen. Uh, Licky has found a groove now, and he's brought his ERA down drastically in the last week. Chad Green's pitching well. Peralta's pitching well, including picking off Alejandro Kirk, who was sleeping at first base the other night. King is is dominating. I mean, there's not really any true weak spots right now. Even Loisica has has found a groove the last week or two. I mean, this team is on a roll. Now, obviously, they're not going to keep going on 10, 11, 12 game winning streaks every so often. It's not going to keep going. But, I mean, you you have to be impressed if you're a Yankees fan or if you're just a general baseball fan. Observing what the Yankees are doing, you got to be impressed. you got to just tip your cap off to them and say, hey, you know what? You're doing a damn good job. Aaron Boone is somehow making a believer out of me so far this season. Let's not get too crazy. <laughs> let's 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 pump the brakes on me becoming an Aaron Boone fan. All right. Let's let's let's, let's do that. Um, although he seemed to have a problem with the balls and strikes in Wednesday night's uh, series uh, closer against Toronto. You know, let, let's not call myself an Aaron Boone fan yet. But slowly but surely, it seems like Aaron Boone is gaining trust again <laughs> with fans and find a way to make this team work. Find a way to make this team execute time and time again. And to that I say, good on you, Aaron. Good on you, Yankees. And now it's time to get back on the horse and keep it rolling as you go into the weekend and host the White Sox for a three-game set over the course of the weekend. So that's the Yankees and the Red Sox. So now we turn our attention to, of course, the final regional team, the New York Mets. Again, pleasantly surprising me over the course of, of the last week. And then some. Uh, even though the Mets. Uh, even though the Mets. Did go down to the Braves. 9-2 to thanks to uh, Shenandoah High School. Out of Clifton Park. Uh, a graduate Ian Anderson. Pitching a terrific game against the Mets. Earlier tonight. The Mets are still doing the work that is necessary. To hold themselves atop of the division. 18-7 and now clear of Miami by like five or six games right now. And they have put themselves in a good position early on. The, the key, the key to a season, a strong start, survive the dog days of summer in June, July, August, and then finish strong. That's really, that's really the key to any good to great major league baseball team. You start strong in April and May, you maintain some level of consistency throughout June, July, and August, you get through the hot, those hot summer days. You get through all that, you get through the humidity, you get through the the heat, the lack of air conditioning if you're you know when you're playing those outdoor games. And then once you start to cool once it starts to cool down a little bit going into September, going into Labor Day and beyond, you 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 find you you get on the roll again. You get hot again. That's that's the best case scenario. When are able to go into the little stadium of the defending world champions and split a four game set with them, that's that's a good way to look at things. And it's the first time you face them all year and you split four games with them. I will take that. I will gladly take that any day of the week. Gladly. You took two out of three from Philly at City Field this past weekend. Now you take two, you split four. With the Braves two and two, you you, you sweep the doubleheader of all of the of all the ways you can split a four game set with a team. You you won both ends of a doubleheader and then lost the bookend games uh, of the series, which is bizarre. Uh, but now the Mets, no rest for the weary, a four game set starting in Philly tonight, and then a day off. All three teams. All four regional teams have this coming Monday off. It's crazy. Uh, Then you play three in Washington against the Nationals before coming home to City Field for next Friday through Sunday against the Mariners in interleague play. So this is a case where now you get to play the two bottom teams in the division. Again, take advantage of the situation. You took two off three from Philly this past weekend. You took two off three from the Phillies in Philadelphia. At the end of the first, uh, at the start of the first full week of the season in early April. Now keep it going. Keep showing them who's boss. Keep making it happen. And Washington, I mean, the Mets have just been, you know, they haven't faced Washington since the opening series of the season, but that's how you started things hot. You took the first three out of the four game in that series to get the ball rolling, where you won six of your first eight games of the season. So now it's about keeping momentum at this point. But we got to get to the thing that really impressed me and pleasantly surprised me about this squad for the longest time, the New York Mets have been a team where it's been a, an avid complaint of their fans that they, for some reason, didn't think that their team, like, like the, the upper management cared about their team and the product on the field. So common knowledge, let's just put that out there. Common, common knowledge. But they they put the right foot forward this past week. They put the right foot forward for the first time in a long time when they decided to cut uh, Robinson Cano this week. Billy Upler, Sandy Alderson, Buck Showalter all decided that baseball, making a baseball decision was more important than making a money decision. And they let go of Robinson Cano. They RFA'd him. Um... He was due 24 mil throughout the rest of this year. There's still 24 million more in his contract for next year. And I have to say that that's man, they they just know how to tug at the heartstrings and make you believe that they're actually turning around as an organization, don't they? They really do. But let's just go back in time for a second here. Because this is what it really comes down to. When it'll, when you boil it down, when you look at the nuts and bolts of this decision, here's what Bullet really boils down to. Let's be real. Aside from the two years Terry Collins actually finished above 500 in his years managing the New York Mets, aside from those two years when... They lost in the World Series to the Royals in twenty fifteen and then lost in the wild card game to, I believe it was the Phillies, or the no, the Giants, excuse me, the Giants in 2016. Aside from those two years, when's the last time you couldn't really sit yourself down Mets fan or just general observant baseball fan? And can say to yourself, This organization and this team respects their manager. And this manager is demanding that respect from them. He's earning that respect from them because he, not, not really, not, he doesn't have to earn it. Buck doesn't have to earn a damn thing. He, he deserves it right out front with this track record of success he's had, with the way he built the Yankees before Tory took over, the way he built the Diamondbacks before Bob Brenly took over and won a World Series in 2001, the way he could have in Baltimore if their organization wasn't just so inept. You're going to have to go back 20 years basically. You have to go back to the Bobby Valentine era. I mean, let's be real. Let's be real. The only managers in the last 40 years of New York Mets baseball that have been truly respected across the board by players, management, other personnel in the office, Davey Johnson, Bobby Valentine, Buck Walter. And Sandy Alderson and Billy Epler took whatever Buck Walter said and said, all right, we'll put baseball before money. We're we're starting, we've got a hell of a start to our season so far. Let's keep it going and make the right move for not just the on-field proc, but honestly, what I feel like was the right move for the clubhouse. I feel like it was the right move for the clubhouse. Because look at this squad right now. This squad is a, a youth-infused squad right now. Now, it has a good mix of veterans, obviously, in their young 30s in – McCann, Escobar, Canha, and Marte. But generally speaking, your squad is full of guys in their mid to late 20s. Alonzo, McNeil just turned 30, Lindor's 28, Nimmo's 29, Dom Smith is 27. You've now taken the handcuffs that some of these younger players may feel like they had, especially Dom Smith, because they ain't going to give him more at-bats. You're going to give Luis Guillorme more uh, at-bats. GD Davis can get more at-bats now. Jankowski could even get more at-bats. You're taking the handcuffs off these young guys that are getting hamstrung by the 39-year-old $24 million man known as Robinson Cano being on that roster and taking playing time away from them, taking starts away from them. And now they can feel free. They can finally feel like they, they can play ball and not to worry about whether or not they even have a spot free for them in the lineup the next day. I feel like this was the best move, both from a baseball perspective and a clubhouse perspective. And I applaud Mr. Alderson, Mr. Epler, and Buck Showalter. I applaud them to the hilt. And right now they're kind of experimenting with a little bit of a six-man rotation with Scherzer and Bassett, Carrasco, McGill, Peterson starting game one the doubleheader the other day. Taiwan Walker, uh, now that he's back off of the 10-day DL. Edwin Diaz still doing well. Seth Lugo's improving. Anavino's improving. Uh, Jalei Rodriguez, eh. And, uh, Trevor May is in the DL, though. Sean Reed Foley's in the DL, though. So now you're asking those guys, so that core in the front of the bullpen, the Drew Smiths, the Lugos, the Anavinos, the Diaz's, to lift their game up a little bit, and hope the guys behind you do the same. The Tration Shreve's, the Rodriguez's, the Trevor Williams, the Adonis Medina's, who have been called up, you, they got set the example for the other guys behind them. So, the rotation's great right now. The, for the most part, the rotation's great right now. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not big on Carrasco, but we'll see what happens in the long term. It's so not just a matter of the bullpen hole up there in the bargain, even though they're down two of their normal arms back there. So now we get through the Red Sox. We get through the Yankees. We get through the Mets. And I want to get to something that I addressed a little bit last week. Uh, Last week, if you recall, in episode four of Katie's Corner, I tore into Angel Hernandez and how he's essentially – just taking up the role that Joe West had as the most hated umpire in Major League Baseball, but he's doing he's he's going too far with it. Let's just be fair with him. Now we're going on a whole nother level here, because it seems like the attitudes and this uh, this uh, this uh, this this weird game of I don't even know how to put it. Like basically, I feel like the umpires are in a weird position where they know technology is catching up with them, and they're bound to become Less and less necessary as time goes on. So they're having this weird... ego issue right now. Where they feel like they have to... you know, be more controversial in your face. Or just be a lot crappier at their job than usual. Laz Diaz... I mean, I don't know if y'all paid attention to his strike zone... uh, earlier this week. But holy crap, he was calling stuff... Four to six inches, way off the plate. Um, that which was downright embarrassing, and was shown all across America on national TV outlets. Then you have this this schmuck who was uh, umpiring the Diamondbacks Marlins game Wednesday afternoon, and I'm looking to see. What the uh, the name of the the uh, umpire is? Excuse me. Oh, okay. Dan Bellino. So Dan Bellino was the first base umpire for this game, and it's typical, obviously, after uh, a half inning, for a pitcher to be checked for any substances on their pitching hand. That's we're we're used to that by now. Since last year, um, when they started to cut down on everything with the spider tack and all that jazz, and all the rumors that are surrounding it, this so on and so forth. So, Bumgarner is getting checked. Now, during this, at, at the start of it, Bumgarner's not even looking at Bellino because it's expected it to be a, a quick 5, 10-second thing, nothing crazy, like it normally is. The thing is, Bellino, when he's checking his hand, he, he's using his hands to check Bumgarner's hand, but he's not even looking at the hand. He's staring daggers into the side of Bumgarner's head to the point where Bumgarner just can feel a weird tension that was unnecessary and uncalled for and like just ridiculous and then Bumgarner feels this tension looks at Bellino, looks at his hand notices Bellino continuing to stare daggers at him, not at the hand that he's inspecting Bumgarner exchanges words with Bellino Apparently, he used explicit language towards Bellino, and Bellino just decided to toss him. So I don't know where this Napoleon complex is coming from right now. Now, you could say there have been certain umpires over time that have a Napoleon complex with players. It's, it's well-documented throughout the years. You can diff- look at different umpires, and it's obvious. I don't know what Bellino's problem was with Madison Bumgarner, but that's a case where... It's a perfect example of umpires being insecure about themselves to the point where now they have to exude that insecurity onto a player and cause the player to get themselves ejected when there should have never been that scenario or situation in the first place. To me, I feel like being a Major League Baseball umpire is the only only position, the only job you can hold where... You can instigate bad behavior from somebody else in the workplace. But you're the one that gets to dish out the punishment in the end. Like, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. There was no need for that from Bellino. I'm sure somebody will talk to him at some point, whether it be the, the office, the commissioner's office, somebody within the umpires union, or even just the crew chief of the of the crew that worked that game today between Arizona and Miami. It's absurd. Umpires have this weird Napoleon complex that is just going too far at this point. And they need to check their egos at the door before they walk out onto the diamond every single game. Or they just need to get the hell out. Just get out. It's ridiculous. We're at a point now where as much as I'm, uns- I'm still unsure about it as far as an execution standpoint... The more and more these umpires act like complete asses, the more and more I'm like, sure, get rid of them. Put technology into call balls and strikes. I, I don't care anymore. Do it. Because it's interactions like this that are causing distrust within players and distrust uh from the players' union. And the weird thing is, Major Baseball actually listens to them when it comes to this. It's come to a point where. I'm, I, I'm almost ready to finally just say, screw it. Just put the technology and get rid of these umpires. Screw them. I don't care what it does to pensions and unemployment. Screw them. Screw them. Just get rid of them. Get rid of them. The only good thing about umpiring so far in 2022 has been, when working, uh, the on-field microphone that the crew chiefs are using uh, when it comes to video challenges by respective teams. That's the one good thing so far this year. But the bad is severely outweighing the good and getting way more of the headlines than the good. This is the kind of stuff that needs to be stopped. And I don't know if it's got to be the umpires union that says something. It has to be the commissioner's office that says something. But somebody has to say something at some point. Somebody. Because Laz Diaz, Dan Pellino and all the other umpires that are making their fellow umpires look horrible they are just they're messing it up for everyone else it's like it's like they say what's to say when you're in school it takes one bad apple to ruin the whole bunch or the whole the whole uh you know the whole barrel that's the case with Bellino and Las Diaz and, and Angel Hernandez there are three bad apples that are ruining the whole bunch for everyone else across Major League Baseball, and now with this crap that Bolino pulls with the hand inspection, now you're gonna have everybody on the on their tippy uh, walking on eggshells at this point when they get inspected. All the pitchers, because who knows who the who who what other umpires are gonna have the quick heave ho if you give me the slightest bit of attitude about the inspection. It's a bad precedent that needs to be nipped in the bud before it becomes a league-wide problem. And that being said, that's episode five of Katie's Corner. A little shorter, a little sweeter, though, I think, than most of the past episodes from the previous month. But I thank you for checking it out. Again, it's Katie's Corner, presented by Guys of Little Media, sponsored by our friends... At Mohawk Con and Scotia Glenville, where they always go out of their way to please you with their Kelly Blue Book instant cash offer. Make sure you check that out. Check around social media. Once again, if you're not watching the scroll on the YouTube video of this episode and just listening to the audio only, wherever you get your podcast, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, my Twitter handle, at Brian Cady. My name all is one word, B-R-I-A-N-C-A-D-Y. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, uh, issues you'd like to hear me address on the show, either about your team or something at large within Major League Baseball, brian.kady at Also, quick note, as we're getting closer and closer to this happening, I do plan on adding in a little bit of coverage, since it is baseball-related, I am planning on adding in a little bit of coverage about the two local teams in the Perfect Game Collegiate Baseball Summer League Um, that college players take part in around here, the Albany Dutchman and the Amsterdam Mohawks, and possibly coverage of the Tri-City Valley Cats. Again, it's all work in progress. It's all just – it's in the planning uh, stage of everything. So, you know, just got to figure things out and go from there. That being said, thank you again for checking out Episode 5 of Katie's Corner. Until then, enjoy this upcoming week of baseball. We'll catch you with Episode 6.